DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He joins us every week. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, the Pac-12 is having an unprecedented run of, well, not unprecedented, but unprecedented in the last couple of decades run of success here. UCLA's in Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. USC for the first time in, like, 20 years, Oregon State for the first time in 39 years. You got anything to attribute this to? It's a crazy year. It's the pandemic. It's the NCAA tournament. Anything can happen. You got a reason? You got a trend? You know, I think one of the things that uh, all the unknowns with COVID and missing games and teams and what we normally would see a continuous season, you see a continuity that you could understand guys are out guys are hurt you know what but there there has been no rhyme or reason for a lot of the things that have happened where a you know a college team can play 24 games and another one played 15 and so i think you have to attribute some of it to the unknowns and really all of the experts you know ranking <clears throat> the pac-12 as uh, not having a real great year and, and i don't think we knew all the circumstances and another thing is that sometimes younger teams younger players get better and I think it's a combination of kind of both of those things. But, but certainly you've got really, really good coaches that uh, have gotten their guys ready to play. I've watched these teams play more in the NCAA tournament than I did during the, the, the conference season. So uh, what I've seen is you know, teams that defend, which is critical to winning in the, in the NCAA tournament. And uh, when you start looking at you know, the Mobley brothers at, US, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at USC – you look at UCLA, who we all kind of saw up close and personal playing against BYU. Uh, and then Oregon State, I think a lot of people knew they were pretty good uh, going into the season, but probably are the biggest surprise. But all well coached. And, but I just think a lot of it's just all the unknowns. where all the data, all the analytics. You can kind of throw it out the window right now. Hey, the, tr- the truth is they got, <clears throat> excuse me, Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor. Uh, they got three of the four top seeds in still playing and probably will all be in the final four. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing. Good for the Pac-12. And uh, they, they've kind of resurrected themselves and uh, uh, have, have kind of changed the image of that league. And no better place to do it than getting to the, fi- getting to the final eight. So we saw over the weekend that Utah hired Craig Smith, and he comes down from Logan. Expectations are high. Mm-hmm. I think you've been where Craig Smith has been, and you've been there twice. You were a glutton for punishment. I was thinking about this the other day. You took off our two programs. <laughs> Nobody said that I was were, very smart. Yeah, he took off our two programs that were way down, and actually neither program, well, Utah's program, I should say, was not as down as much as the programs that you took over. So I, I identify you and Larry Kostobiak as being in a similar situation. When Larry took over 10 years ago, the program was awful. Obviously, at BYU, when you took over, the program is awful. If Craig Smith were to call you and said, Steve, help me out here. Give me some advice on how to go about rebuilding this program. And they're not dealing from a position of complete and total bottom like you were but nevertheless expectations i think are higher than when you and larry took over because craig smith is expected to win immediately what would you tell him well first of all just from what i do know about him and watching him i never have ever had a personal conversation with him 
but he already understands the really important things, uh, how important that locker room is, how important chemistry is, how important the work ethic is, and, and just the, the culture of that program. And so <clears throat> that's going to come pretty quickly and naturally to him because that's who he is. And, and from what I understand, he's a great motivator and a real positive person. I think that the most important thing is reconciling, uh, you know, short-term needs with long-term goals. <laughs> and I think you get in a position sometimes as we reconcile those short-term needs, we, we have a tendency to maybe be a little bit impatient sometimes and we'll make a mistake or two. And, you know, my, my, my thinking to him would be, hey, be patient here. Obviously, the transfer portal is, uh, is kind of a source of quicker fixes and guys are available, people you've actually seen play at other schools. So the transfer portal is something that immediately they have to take a look at, but he can't compromise who he is and what his program is about and take at-risk kids. I mean, I don't, I don't see them doing that, but I, I would say this, that be patient with reconciling those needs of the fans and everybody wants to be good now uh, and understand that the long-term goals are what really matters. And, the sooner they can get back to the NCAA tournament, you know, the happier the fan base will be and the administration and everybody else. I, I did. So does Tim Allen, did he have a year left and go into the portal? Yeah, he does. He, okay. he does have a year left. He, he, I, uh, I he took that one-time peak at the NBA that you get. He took that okay. a year ago. Okay. So, so you know, I mean, I, I want to have a conversation with him. Obviously, he, he's a... Uh, He's a leader in that program, and even though the, there'll be changes and things will be done differently, I mean, that's somebody close by, and he may want nothing to do with it, but I know that uh, he had a great relationship with Coach Kostowiak, and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think the transfer portal, obviously, is something you look at immediately, but you also look at the long-term needs. He, he understands the, the face of athletics in Utah and uh, outside, he's lived outside the state. I'm not, I can't remember if he was at South Dakota or North Dakota. I think it was South Dakota, South. wasn't it? It was South. he came from, yeah. And uh, so he's been around. He, he understands the game. He knows how to develop players and, and, and take teams to the NC2A tournament. The key for him is getting players. And uh, I, I just don't – sometimes you take, take a guy, take an at-risk guy, and, and you think you've gone one step forward, but in all, when it's all said and done – you know, come next fall, you maybe take two steps back. So you got to be careful in your recruiting and making sure that you get the kind of person that fits in your program and that wants to be there. Uh, it's not easy, but the portal does make it a lot easier than it was five, ten years ago. So um, just, you know, you're constantly <clears throat> dealing with short-term needs and the fan base, but you got to look at the long-term and know that uh, everyone will be just fine, uh, you know, a year or two from now when they're in the tournament and you do it the right way. So Utah State has an open job now with uh, Craig Smith going to Utah. And Craig Smith worked for Tim Miles twice as an assistant and a third time as a director of operations and then got promoted to assistant then. So the, Mayville State, and then he took a head coaching job in the NIA, got back with him at North Dakota State, took the head coaching job at Mayville State, got back with him at, at Colorado State, um, and they may have been together in Nebraska too. So they've got they've got a long track record together here. I'm assuming he's going to push Tim 
for the uh, Utah State job because Tim Miles has been out since it, it, it went south at Nebraska. So you know how it tends to work with coaches and their relationships with each other and with ADs. Should Aggie fans be looking at Tim Miles and focusing on him? Well, not having any idea what Tim Miles is thinking. Uh, I mean, would he be a good fit there? You know, he's he's a really good coach. He's got a pedigree. He's got experience. Uh, He's good friends with a guy that just left. So everything he needs to know about that program, he's going to have an open book. And so that transition might be pretty smooth, but I, you know, I have really no idea. I'm sure there are a lot of really, really quality candidates that are going to want to be involved in that job. But if you're asking me if that, that inside track and that previous relationship would benefit, you know, coach miles, I would say, yeah, probably does. Uh, I'm assuming too, that Utah state has to be really grateful for everything that coach Smith did. Uh, And, uh, you know, continued on, the, you know, the proud tradition at Utah State University. They just had uh, great success there. So I would think that his word would mean something with the athletic director, at least for an interview. But whether or not that, you know, his relationship with Tim Miles uh, gets him, a, you know, gets him a job, I don't know. Because I'm just talking about people I don't have a relationship with, and I don't have an inside scoop. But certainly, the fact that the two of them are so close would seem to me that if that's a job that Tim Miles is interested in he's probably going to get at least an interview or get an opportunity to talk to the AD. What do you, what do you think about some of these jobs that like Utah state in terms of trying to hire somebody who has a connection and maybe you can hang on to them because you look at it, these programs like Utah state, they bring in these guys from the outside the athletic director level and, coaching and it seems like when they have success they take off and they brought in Stu Morrill and he had a he was a Provo kid and he talked about how his mother lived in state and he stayed there a long while and had a lot of success Uh, is it something that maybe you should look at to see if you can maintain it because Craig Smith comes in does a whale of a job but then is out the door three years later although on the flip side you look at football Gary Anderson was a Utah guy he left and then Matt Wells played at Utah State, and he left. Is it just the lay of the land for schools like Utah State that that's the way it's going yeah, to be? I, I, th- I think the environment's changed. I mean, you know, when you start talking about Stu Morrill, you know, you're talking about one of the greatest coaches that ever coached in the state of Utah. And the fact that he did it consistently the right way for a long time. I think uh, that's not going to be the norm uh, in the world we live in today. Um, there are just opportunities all the time. Coaching changes much more frequent than they used to be. Expectations. Um, I, I just, I just think you know. It, I mean, I think Coach Smith leaving Utah State to go to Utah, and that was a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a harder job. There's going to be more scrutiny. There, there, the, the magnifying glass is going to be heightened there. Everything you do will be much more visible than it was up in Logan, where there's very little media up there, other than you know the, the, those that follow you and they had success and there's been a lot of success there for a long time. So there is expectations in the, in the Logan community to have good teams. But I, I think you just have to expect in this world uh, when, and whether it's money or exposure or the next step that helps me get somewhere else, it's just the nature of where we're at these days. And uh, you're not going to see guys very often spend 20 or 25 years at a place. Number one, the scrutiny that comes, it's hard to keep a job that long anyway because eventually there's a year or two that uh, 
you don't have goodwill, and ADs change as well. So there's no guarantees, but I think certainly in today's world, coaches are more likely to take a look at, and you know, you can set yourself financially up for life and uh, go to a, a, a P5 conference and have an opportunity to win a national championship. Those are things that sometimes you can't do at the mid level, and uh, so I, I just don't see that changing. I think that, uh, you know, you look at Stu, you look at Dave, you, Dave was there a long time, eight with me and 14. I mean, those are, I think, more aberrations today than just there's just a lot more turnover for a lot of different reasons. And some of it is money. A lot of it's just an opportunity to coach at a higher level and have a chance to compete for a national championship. You've known PK a long time, and you know how he can turn a phrase and just hit on one or two key words and get a massive reaction. You've seen that firsthand. So are you ready for what he put on our Facebook page? Are you ready for this? You're, you're going to enjoy this. You're already laughing in anticipation. He, he posts this. Add Doc Rivers, who said the Clippers and Lakers are the teams to beat in the West, to the list of those doubting us. What's with these people? Would you like to take a stab at answering that that loaded that loaded question? You're gonna put the Clippers well, in there. You got to put the Jazz in, don't you? Absolutely. L- listen, I I'm uh, you know I started looking. I was just looking at the Jazz, uh, and and I don't get a chance. I'm, I'm most of the Jazz tape I'm watching is from uh, games that have been taped, or you know I'm seeing highlights, and and then there's a, they have a few national games. But I'm just thinking, here, here a team sits at 30, 34-11. I'm looking at this week, they got the Cavs at home. They go to Memphis, which will not be easy. I mean, that Memphis at home is going to be tough. Bulls at home, the Magic at home. I mean, there's a good chance they're going to be 38-11 and, 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 and really put themselves in the driver's seat to win that whole conference. And, and still comments are being made like that. And, and, and I get it that if, you know, you, everybody gets healthy uh, – I, I can see that with L.A. specifically because they did win the championship last year and they are playing without their two best players. But, you know, the guys that have been showing up on the floor, they haven't been great. I mean, you, they've really been exposed. I think getting Drummond is probably a good get. They need somebody at the rim. And But why in the world do we continue to – I mean, I know because of Kawhi and Paul, but all the things that went on last year – and the Clippers have been okay this year. You know, they're not great. But to put them even in the, 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 that same category, maybe because Doc coached there and he knows they're really talented. But uh, it, it's kind of – you just have to kind of look at what's happened. And I know there isn't a lot of faith in this Utah team, but I'm telling you what, it's hard not to look at this thing and go, okay, they're, they're, they may win – you know, they win in 55 to 60 games. They're going to win this thing. They're going to have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and really, the, the Lakers are going to continue to lose more games until they get really healthy. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it either. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. But that's kind of the, the mentality of the big city. And I think Doc being a Clippers fan, maybe he's, setting it. he's trying to set the Clippers up again <laughs> so that they can have another massive failure. But – I do believe the Clippers are better. I think they're in a different place, but uh, I still, I'm still not sold on them being some, you know, at this point in time, what way I've watched them play. And we, I get to see a lot of their games here because it's more local. Uh, I, 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 it's just too up and down still for me, despite the fact that they've got talent. Uh, I, they still play without a point guard. And, 
they don't really have a guy inside that can, can, can really get things done. So I think it's almost too late to make changes now. I'm not sure that anybody's out there that can really help them. They're, they're going to be who they are. But those are two weaknesses that I think. I think the, the lack of a point guard for the Clippers is, uh, would be the reason that they don't finish this thing strong, I think, is, is the number one thing that's, uh, that's troubling that team, is getting somebody to run that team who can knock a shot down from the perimeter and, uh, and run that show. But I don't see that. I don't see that guy showing up. So, not not to say that the Clippers couldn't couldn't win the thing. They could, but to not include Utah is a huge smack in the face. So, as a coach, do you think Quinn Snyder is even bothering with that outside crap and not even worrying about oh the what, what this was said, what wasn't said, and all that stuff? Because they got a good thing going on. It seems to me they should just tune that out. Well, he's never going to. He would never going to hear him say anything publicly for sure. Okay. Right. Uh, maybe maybe from Donovan or someone else, you know, a, a player. But uh, you'd be crazy. You think those things aren't being talked about, you know? And I mean, that is a, a great motivator. And you don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But I promise you, there have been there have been conversations. I'm sure on buses and planes, where there, uh, you know, things have been said that it's just an extra motivation. And the, the fact is, the world needs to need to understand that. This is a really, really good team. Offensively, they are just so solid, can beat you so many different ways. Defensively, they're connected. Uh, this is a good basketball team. You, you just, you know, you don't win 55 or 60 games, whatever they're going to end up, and not be a really good team. They're well coached, but I, I, I don't know if it has more to do with the community and it's not a big city. It's not a marquee name. I don't know what the circumstances are. Utah has always kind of lived in the shadows of, of the big city and the big markets. But uh, they, they've got an, a really, really unique opportunity here because every time they win, they get a little bit better. And this is a team that's connected all over the place, on the floor, off the floor, while a lot of teams are still trying to figure out who's going to be healthy and who's going to play. And that's the advantage that they have. I don't see this Utah team from the top to the very bottom it, overestimating you know, any, any opponent they play. It, it, taking anybody for granted. This is a mature group of young men and great coaches that uh, understand the game, and uh, they're going to. I mean, there is no way they don't win the West. They're going to win. The, they're going to win that conference, be in a home court situation, and then they're going to have to play. I mean, that's that's true. And until you've done it, you're going to always have kind of the wrath of the media and other coaches and other people saying, "Well, they've, they've got to get it done here." Well, what they are doing right now is really special. And they, they're doing what they have to do to win a NBA title. They're going to put themselves in a situation where they've got home court advantage throughout the playoffs. That's going to be an important thing. And I would think by the time we start playing the NBA finals that we'll have even more fans in the, in the, and there'll be a, home, a significant home court advantage. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think those things are still talked about, not publicly, but that, that's a big sign of disrespect. So I am. I, I think you're just a hundred percent on track here, Steve. With Doc Rivers, who knows what agenda he had lumping the Clippers with the Lakers? Maybe it's to put more pressure on him. Maybe it's because he's got relationships with some people there, and he's trying to be nice with them. You know, who knows? Unless you're Doc's best friend, and just the two of you in a room, and Doc might wink at you or smile or whatever. You know, but set that aside. You followed the Lakers for a long time, going back to when you were a fan before you were a coach. And LeBron's trying to do something here, and it's a little different, but he's trying to do something that Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson tried and failed at. 
Jordan came back from baseball and only played 17 games and got beat in the playoffs. Now, the guy went 25-1 and over a seven-year stretch of his career in postseason series. And the one loss is to Orlando the year he only played 17 regular season games. When you don't play a full season, it can be a problem even for Michael Jordan. Magic won the NBA title his first and third year in the league, but the second year... He tore up his knee, had arthroscopic surgery on some cartilage issue, and he played 37 games. And he got beat in the first round by Houston when they had those two or three miniseries things. Now LeBron's missing a lot of games in what's already a short season when they already turned over the roster and brought in guys like Schroeder, you know, and, and, and they've got uh, Montrez Harrell. they got some new guys, and they're not getting that many games together. And I think he's played 41, and who knows how many he'll play when he comes back. Maybe he'll get to 50. Maybe he'll get more than that. Is it going to be enough, or is this a serious reason to doubt LeBron, who among all the active players needs to be, you know, there needs to be the least doubt about this guy. But this was a problem for Jordan and Magic. Is it going to be a problem for LeBron? I, I, I think you're on to something there. And, and I've, I've been a, a supporter of LeBron since he's been in the league. And the fact that he went to a, you know, a franchise that, where I grew up in and, and followed, and I'm not – uh, a, a huge fan of just one team anymore, but certainly I have Laker blood in me because I that was where I was born and followed, and, and my dad played at USC in baseball. And so, I mean, we're kind of a Southern California family, even though we didn't live there a long time. And so I I think the thing that I'm, that I'm seeing here is that we don't know. They're talking about four to six weeks, which, you know, developing that chemistry, getting back on board. I think the thing that makes, you know, for me, that the two injuries are significant, but bringing Drummond in um, and and being in the post, I, I don't, I don't have, a, have a problem with that. But all of a sudden, your second leading scorer now is drifting on the perimeter and I was in the outside, and I liked it when Davis played in the five. I thought they were better when he played in the five. And and now he could step out and pick and pop and do things, and, and it was harder to guard. He always had a five guard. When he goes out, and the perimeter, if Drummond's inside and he's outside, now now he's taking jump shots and the contested jump shots. And it's not that he can't do that, but I think for the Lakers to be really good, LeBron has to be healthy and AD has to be able to play significant minutes inside as well as outside. Drummond comes that immediately pushes you know Davis outside where we settle more for jumpers and we settle for threes. He's not as good a rebounder from out there. That that if I'm a Laker fan. That's what kind of makes me nervous. Not to say that Drummond can't help because they do need a presence in there. And, and Gasol and, and uh, Harrell, I mean, well, he's more of a forward anyway, but they've been playing the post. So I think they improved themselves defensively there, but offensively, I don't know if there'll be the chemistry when AD's on the perimeter, Roman the perimeter. All of a sudden, he's a great rebounder when he's inside there, and, and he's a guy that is going to have a five guard in him rather than maybe a really quick that can get into him and force him to put it on the floor. So I, uh, I, I am. I mean, I'd be concerned that they're going to miss this many games, that they're just going to jump back in and be the same team that they're going to be. Uh, though, as you said, uh, it's hard to doubt LeBron. I mean, he, he's got such a powerful mindset, and if anybody could do it, he could. But I think that is a red flag for, uh, for the Lakers. There's no question about it. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Hey, can I make one 
comment before I finish today? Of course. I, I just wanted to get a little recognition for Coach Simon down at Southern Utah. A good friend of mine, John Wardenberg, works with him. But that's 20 years in, in the waiting for a conference championship. So congratulations to Southern Utah, to Coach Simon, Coach Wardenberg, and all those guys. Thanks for that little shout-out. All right, See there he is. Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. feel really good about spring. I thought we took advantage of all the 15 practices and really got a lot of good work in today. Had some really good focus on our stuff yesterday. And then um, I think this was a really good week for us. Uh, looking forward to taking the next step forward and making sure that we keep our, our leadership thriving and, and keep our, our team culture going. So uh, knowing what we have talent-wise on our team currently and then what else we're adding I think is going to be um, really cool to, to get that transition going and having everybody be ready to roll. Kalani Sataki, spring football in the books. Now it's on. There was some recruiting, a little vacation, and then the summer practices will be here soon enough. Do you take anything away from spring football? Do you know anything about the Cougars you didn't know a few weeks ago? Mm, let's see. That I didn't know. That, that's a tough question because we follow these teams so much. Right. And we get so little access. The access we get now is really the access we have all the time. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the in. In the before times, we would have had more access, and we might know more because of it. More conversations, have a chance off to the side, that kind of thing. But they, they can't have a bunch of media running around down there breathing on everybody and have the whole practice thing shut down because somebody's sick or tested positive. And so that just doesn't happen anymore. I don't know that you learn definitive whatever I'm looking for, mm-hmm. conclusions based on spring ball anyway, even in a normal situation. You get ideas. Uh, you have to go when the full team is there. And some of the team with transfers now and kids graduating early, so you're getting more of a read than you used to because obviously there's a ton of transfers that are around the country that come in and and get going on this. And Oregon, in basketball, this is something that different. I mean, they had a kid who graduated high school and joined the team in for the start of the second semester. You don't, that, that's rare. I'm wondering, you know, how much are we going to see that uh, going forward? So he ends up playing uh, basically the conference season as we know it. And a lot of it, that's really all they had this year. We understand that. But he joined the team in time for the conference season, which starts end of December and January. So that's a new element. And, you know, you wonder if we'll see that more. Uh, So I think you learn more in the training camp than you do in spring ball. And then, of course, you learn more uh, in the games than you do training camp. Uh, So as far as BYU, I think Jaron Hall solidified his spot. And he's going to nail it down, I believe. No coach has told me this. I've got to make that abundantly clear. 
that uh, he will solidify it in training camp in August. And then it's up to him if health is obviously an issue with this young fellow because he's had the concussions and going forward. And, you know, I don't know, but I can't speak from a medical standpoint. But, uh, you know, I've heard if you have some, then you're prone to have more, whatever it might be. So uh, whoever, if it's Baylor Romney, who's number two, whoever that might be, if it's Conover or Soljay's number two, uh, keep your head up, man, because you could have a chance to play for sure. So hundred percent. I I think you got to underline that PK watching the Utes and Cougars this last decade. It's the rarity when they have a quarterback make it through an entire season, and it's happened. But it's still the rarity when it does. You're you're as likely to play your third string quarterback meaningful snaps, give them starts, as you are to have the first stringer get through the whole season. Yeah. Uh, so, I think Hall is going to be their guy, and uh, get after it, man. I'm excited for them because I think their program is in a much better spot than it was three, four years ago. And so, I think that's important uh, as far as trying to have success. You know, I don't know that they're going to recreate an 11-1 and one, uh, in this situation. Now, Zach could come back, maybe, Yeah, but... But he's not. not. After he, yeah. he had the greatest pro day in the history of pro days. And the sooner you acknowledge that, the better off you'll be. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, I I think that BYU is in a much better place than they were even two years ago. You think about it. They oh, put man. Baylor Romney in for three starts two years ago, and they and they were a mediocre team. But he went three and zero, and he beat Boise State. Now that doesn't you know I don't want to oversell him and turn him into you know. John Elway or Tom Brady here, but that's that's great. He came in with no experience. He went three and zero. He beat a Boise State team that went twelve and two that year, lost the bowl game and that BYU game, and that's it. If you beat him out, presumably he's two years older. He's he's at least a little better now, right? He's backed up Zach. He's he's been through more film sessions and all that stuff. He should have progressed. If you beat him out, then you're a pretty good quarterback. I mean, if he's if that's the baseline. You know, if he if he gets beat out by by Hall, well, I don't know if he gets beat out at Conover, whoever. If he gets beat out, you had to be better than that. So that ought to encourage Cougar fans, and then have some depth at quarterback too. That, that, that's a huge positive. I can buy that assessment. And then the pro day thing, man. I think that they are just doing, and I don't know if it's Kalani or the people around Kalani, if it's Tom Homo, if it's his staff. But I just thought the whole thing, you know, it it, it just happens that the Jets have the second pick, and you're going to be on ESPN, and you got a chance to milk it. And I thought they milked it. Sell yourself. Use the free media as much as possible. And I thought they did. I thought when they took those shots and, you know, they have a, they have a portable bleacher set up like you see at a high school baseball or something like that. And there are all those players sitting in it. And those guys are, you know, now you can tell those guys, man, if you work, that, if you work hard, that could be you out there. Look at all those NFL people looking at him. And it's on TV, and I have no doubt they're telling 16- and 17-year-olds, come here, that could be you. Just keep selling it. Man, they got... They got a few breaks, right? If it had been uh, Jacksonville with the two-pick, I don't know that ESPN would have played it up like that. But it's the Jets with a two-pick, and Zach can be the two-pick. So ESPN played it up like that, and I thought they milked it for all it was worth. Good work. And then they had he had the greatest play in practice history. <laughs> Roll left, throw right across your body, 50 yards downfield to the middle of the field. It would be hard enough to make that throw to the sideline. He made it back to the middle of the field. Freakish. 
That was awesome. The throw. <laughs> it's simply known as the throw. It is the stuff of legend. It's the best play ever in the history of football that didn't count. <laughs> Stockton has the shot. <laughs> and now Wilson has the throw. The throw. I'm flicking around on uh, NBC Sports this morning, and Phil Sims and some other guy, not Phil Sims, his son Chris Sims, and Chris Sims just loves the kid, just loves him, think they should take him ahead of uh, Trevor Lawrence. And uh, they must have shown the throw seven times. <laughs> it's, it is so phenomenal. And I think that it's not just the uh, certainly the Jets and all, but I think that we as a fan base are just, and I speak generally across the country, are just so in love with football. And that and anything happens in the NFL draft is just gigantic. My favorite draft is the NBA draft, but the NFL draft just, just gets so much attention and these mock drafts and all this stuff. And here this kid is at the top of it because it's, it's really interesting in that uh, he's the best player who doesn't know for sure where he's going. You know what I mean by that? Because it seems like, uh, and they were talking about this, I was list, uh, had it on closed captions so I could listen or read their words, that er- Urban Meyer was on. They had him on with King, and I think that it, w- it was a replay of something, and he's talking about how, yeah, they're very much leaning in the strong direction of drafting uh, Lawrence. So that goes down to number two. Are the Jets really going to take him? Do we know that for sure? Now, we don't know for sure Jacksonville's going to take Lawrence, yeah. but it seems like that's a pretty good conclusion to make. So are the Jets really going to do that? Do we know that for sure? And can the uh, Niners move up and all that stuff? I, I would love, if I were him, for me, I would. if I'm a West, Western region guy, I would love to go to the Niners. Uh, that would be fun. Oh. But at the same time, Zach Wilson is going to embrace New York if he should go there. The Niners did trade up to the number three slot in the draft. They made a deal with Miami, and the Niners gave up their first-round pick this year, first and third next year, and a first-round pick the year after that. There's somebody they want, and they want them real bad. But if you look at the mock drafts now, it's pretty much unanimous, PK. Everybody's got Zach going to the Jets with a two-pick. There's no... There's no wiggle room, and I know you fans were going nuts when, when we were talking about, hey, the mock drafts are saying he's top 10. No way! Top 10. I mean, he's two. ESPN, two. Fox, two. NFL.com, two. Pro Football uh, Focus, two. Pro Football Weekly, two. I mean, it's just right down the list. That doesn't mean he's going to the Jets, though. There's still a month to go. There's absolutely. They could trade, and yeah, you're right. But that's where it sits right now. The Jazz right now sit in the top spot in the Western Conference, three games in front of the Suns, four up on the Clippers, and the Jazz have won five straight games now. We just had Steve Cleveland on. He was talking about the possibility of sweeping this week. Cleveland, Chicago, Orlando at home, that does not look very difficult. Clearly, the uh, on paper, the most difficult game this week is at Memphis on Wednesday, trying to beat them a third time in a week. But, man, they, they made the second Memphis game look a lot easier than they made the first one. They had a big lead in the first one. They were making it look easy, and then the 21-point lead went down to three. And I was skeptical, and I thought the Jazz were susceptible to a loss on Saturday, but obviously that did not happen. 
Uh, Conley's out again. How many games has he missed? Because I believe they're undefeated. No, they lost missed. one now without him. I think. I, I think he's. Uh, I think he's. Want to say he's missed eight, but he might have missed nine. I can check that for you. And they lost the game without him. Okay. Uh, they finally right. did lose a game without him. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that under the he circumstances, sat the Wizards back, game. Back, blah blah blah. Okay, and that they would be susceptible. Uh, but, man, they weren't. It was, it was very much a dominant performance. And, my, does, have you seen a smoother-looking player in jazz history than Donovan Mitchell? I mean, he just looks so smooth and graceful. Uh, it reminds me of the pitcher-perfect golf swing. That when you see, I remember the first time I saw Michelle Wee play, and I saw that swing, and she's a six-foot-tall uh, young gal, obviously, and, and I just thought that, I saw that swing, and I thought, wow, that swing looks absolutely beautiful. Everything is in sync the way it's supposed to be. And when I see Donovan Mitchell eye a shot and then sort of step into it, he just looks so smooth and graceful. It really is. like It's like a textbook. And it's soft on the rim. And normal, a lot of times it's a swish. It doesn't even hit the rim. But he, he took the world by storm and the world being the NBA. But he's even way better. Oh, no question. Do you remember a couple years ago when I was saying in the offseason, the question now is can he add the step-back jumper? You know, Harden's got it, and they can't compete with him, and your best player has to do what their best player can do, or you're going to be in trouble in the playoff series. And in the first quarter when he had his, uh, I think he went for 16 Saturday night in the first quarter. And, you know, he does look smooth. You're right, dribbling into a three, and, and then he and then he kind of hesitates. The guy thinks he's going to shoot another three, and he blows by him for a layup. But he got isolated and went between the legs into the step-back three, and he was on balance in rhythm, like you said, so smooth. And the shot, you know, if you do all that and then you just throw the shot off the, off the backboard yeah. or clank yeah, it off right. the rim, well, okay, you look smooth, but that, that was a heck of a brick you threw up there. But he yeah. didn't. It was a rainbow, and it just swished. And he's backpedaling, and, and they just he's got some teammates probably saying something to him because he's looking over to his left. It's probably Joe. It was Joe. Of course it would be Joe, right? And he's got this little grin on his face, but then he wipes it off because you're not supposed to be all that happy, but somebody said something funny to him. So Yeah, but I think that grin is, is a uh, outward sign of uh, beyond – it's cocky now. And the cockier yeah. my guys are, the better. Absolutely. You're going to need that to get to the yeah. highest level. Yeah. You're not showing up anybody. He's not doing that. But you, you've got to have – because I think supreme confidence – it transfers over into cockiness. And maybe I'm drawing a fine line here, but I think the true uh, great ones, they have that complete and total. It's beyond confidence because a lot of players have confidence and they should have confidence. They're playing the highest league in the world. Uh, George Niang, if his feet are set in the corner up top, wherever on the side, uh, he's got a lot of confidence that it's going in. For sure, it's going in. He's got a lot of confidence in that. But I don't think that he's earned the right to have cockiness. And I think Donovan Mitchell is approaching that level to where it doesn't really matter what you do. I'm better than you. And that, boy, that's awesome. you got to have that. To be, to be the last man, last team standing, you absolutely have to have that. Does Paul George have that? I don't think so. 
So will they have that against better competition? Because the Grizzlies' ballpark, let's see how it shakes out, but the Grizzlies' ballpark are an eight seed. So to Donovan's point, which he made, hey, we're done losing in the first round, okay, be way better than that team and get out of that round, and that'll be great, and you need that, but there'll still be three rounds to go, and I think we can all look at the teams that are left and think, you're not going to backdoor to the second round. If you're the one seed, you might backdoor the first round and get a gimme. But by the time you get to the second round, it'll be on. The 4-5 series right now, I think, would be the Nuggets and the Lakers. And you'd get the winner. So, good luck with that. It's on. And they'll get you. Good luck with that. Yeah! All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. PK, the Facebook uh, listeners were just, uh, bleh, meh, kind of just, eh. Show me, don't tell me, on Craig Smith. Now the Twitter reaction, maybe some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, backlash. Uh, Salt Lake Jake says, I love it. The man wins everywhere he's been. I like his energy and his results. Okay, yeah. Hard to argue that one. uh, Then you got uh, Craig Smith. uh, You fans, you like the Craig Smith hire. Beards and Beers says, ask Timmy Allen. Wait to see if Timmy decides not to go in the portal and come back and join the team. Is that it? That we're going to pass judgment. Mm, that's going to be. You know, it? That's not really a fair assessment of Craig Smith. The status of Allen. Snazzy Coog says, "Wait, are Utah and Utah State joining forces?" No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, see, I, I thought some BYU fans would have fun with that. Like, you're not supposed to go from Utah State to Utah. It's supposed to be the other way around. Brian says, is it fair to say that you think Utah will schedule USU home and home in the future? Because that's what Craig Smith advocated when he was in Logan. Well, he wouldn't be well, the first sure. coach to change his mind with his well, shoe on the other foot. And, but and you, Utah fans, they don't get respect. We don't get respect. We should be allowed to play these guys. And then they get in the Pac-12. We're not going to play those guys. I know. Forget right? that. I know. They're afraid of us. Cancel the Boise State series. We're not playing yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, it, But I would think if you're going to get it, this would be your best chance. You know, I mean, Craig's got a tie to the AD at Utah State, so maybe that smooths it over. But if Tim Miles gets the job, then does he want to play well, a good friend of his? Maybe he does. Why are you so high on Tim Miles? What has he done? <laughs> he, yeah, he did well at CSU, and then he didn't do well at Nebraska. I mean, but you act like he's the odds-on favorite. Uh, I don't know that he's the odds-on favorite, but I was well, you told brought him up was, to Steve Cleveland. Now you it, just brought him up again. I was told to keep my eye on him, but that doesn't make him the odds-on favorite. You were told to keep your eye on him. Yes, you were told. Uh, you were told that Caleb Rep was going to be an NFL receiver. I was. You and were told that who's that running back? Yak at BYU. Uh, Tolatow. <laughs> Ula Tolatow. Yep. And then he had a Frisbee full of a uh, certain substance that ended his A Frisbee? Real quick. Yeah, he was carrying wow, it in a Frisbee. Fly- flying high. hey <laughs> Yep. Maybe it would be Tim Wiles. I'm not discounting Tim Miles. But, see, you didn't say that. That's what I was wondering. Now you just told me that you were told to keep your eye on him. That's what I yep. was after. You there brought him up twice, but you hadn't referenced as to why. Now you told me. Now I understand why you brought it up twice. Yep. There you go. Okay. But, you know, could he have something else cooking? And could the AD like somebody else uh, more? Sure. Uh, but Craig and Tim are tight going way back. And, and Craig 
We'll have some say. That doesn't mean that he gets to pick the next head coach, but I think you know he had a good run. I, I think the most important thing is that if he worked for Tim three different times or four different times, which he did, then they partly share a basketball brain. And Craig's basketball brain just worked really well in Logan. So why not get someone who thinks like him? They wouldn't work together all those times if they didn't well, think about uh, it. Yeah, and he inherited Sam Merrill. Absolutely. Let's, let's right? not forget that. He didn't recruit Sam Merrill. If you want to be a winning coach at Utah State in the Mountain West Conference, have two NBA players on your roster because that makes life a lot better. And, yeah, he, and I think he inherited Kate is Sam. one of those dudes. And, but you got to say, with the transfer portal the way it is, inheriting a player doesn't necessarily mean what it used to either. You got to re recruit them and keep them because they're all taken off. So he re recruited them and he kept them. Oh, and, Sam and then Merrill he got Kata. was a Utah State guy from birth. Yeah, he was. But it doesn't mean he can't take off if he's soured on the new coach. But you're right, he's less likely to because and his he, wife he's an Aggie was there playing. Didn't his wife play soccer okay. up there? I'd have to check if that's true. I, th- I think that's the story. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not discounting what Craig Smith did because he went three for three in NCAA tournaments. But let's acknowledge that there was other guys who brought Stan Merrill to the to the program, not him. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hanson Scott here next. We'll see you.